following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. While you're standing, let's open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. We will read the text and then we'll pray. Genesis 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 21. If you, it's hard for you to remain standing, feel free to sit down. This is the reading of God's word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for everyone. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it in, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the child under the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we do declare how great thou art. Your ways and your wisdom are beyond ours. And we, your people, are completely dependent upon you. And so this morning, I pray that you would re-speak your word to your people in such a way that it would allow you to deal with their hearts and our hearts as we're here. Thank you for the lessons we're going to learn today. Help us to see Jesus. 
who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> well, church, thank you for your prayers. Um, we are grateful for you. Um, just a quick update. Um, Jill is doing what Jill does. If you know Jill, um, she is serving uh, her stepmother very, very well. Um, she is um, strong. She's the strongest human on earth, in my opinion. And uh, I love her dearly. And I'm grateful for her. She is serving Jan well. Jan's doing well, considering the circumstances. Um, we appreciate your prayers for our family. Our children are doing uh, very well. Um, I have been so grateful to God as I've heard them uh, declare their own faith. They're leaning into what God is doing, what God has brought. It's a hard providence for us as a family. Um, and so we appreciate your prayers. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to do... This morning, what brings me no greater joy, um, I love, I love teaching you God's word. Um, and I was reminded today as I was driving in of, I put notes at the top of sermon preparation pages. And one of them reminds me often, it just says, preach, O man of God, preach. So this morning, I'm going to preach. And uh, I, I'm thankful that I think you'll listen. <laughs> so, all right, we were in Genesis 21 this morning. You know, Matthew Henry, if you know much about your Bible reading or Bible study, some of you might know of this guy named Matthew Henry. He was one of the most honest biblical commentators I've ever read. Um, he was a British pastor in the late 17th and early 18th centuries. And he was known in a very interesting way. He was known as an acute observer of answered prayer. One story about Matthew Henry that I read that just was stunning to me was he was standing on a street corner one day and suddenly became aware of a prayer that God had just answered. And he grabbed the stranger next to him and he began to give details of his prayer and then the details of the faithfulness of God. It was a unique work of grace in Matthew Henry's life because he was always aware of when God was on the move. I just wonder, are you aware of when God is on the move? Are you looking for opportunities to see and to declare when God is on the move? Our family, like many of yours, loved the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, right? I mean, how many of you read that to your kids, right? Or you did the audio books, right? If you are a new family, you've got young kids, get the audio version from Focus on the Family where it's a, it is, it is characters reading out the story. It is one of our favorite Stories And in the book titled by that name, Narnia is under a dark spell from the white witch and it's always winter. Four human children land in Narnia through a secret wardrobe as they go through the back of this wardrobe fighting through the fur coats and they land in this magical world called Narnia where it's always winter and they're introduced to a character named a beaver named Mr. Beaver. You can imagine the shock on their faces when Mr. Beaver begins to talk. So they follow Mr. Beaver to his hut as he secretly gets them into his uh, his little dark hut. And he tells him something in the dark days of winter. He tells him something fascinating. He says, listen, 
We're hearing that the dark days of winter are about to end, and here's why. They say that Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. From that point on in the book, the children and all the creatures of Narnia are looking for Aslan, the lion, the great lion, who will set all things right in Narnia and make the days of spring and summer come back again. I wonder, are you on the lookout for Aslan being on the move? And are you aware when he does? See, often our trouble... And the reason we don't see God on the move or we don't, we don't worship God when He's been on the move is because we're impatient. We're impatient with God because things didn't happen the way that we want them to happen or they don't happen in the time frame that we want them to happen or He hasn't moved in our opinion enough. And we begin to question the character and the wisdom and the kindness of God. We see bad things in this world and bad people arise and God seems to be silent or he doesn't seem to act. But today in our story in Genesis 21, we're going to see something very interesting. Now this is our big idea for the day. And if you're new with us, what we do is we give a big idea that will help you see what the sermon is really about and what we think this text of scripture is about. <clears throat> and it's in your outline that you should have received when you walk in the door. And here's the, here's the big idea. God is always on the move. He will fulfill his promises in his timing. And his people should respond with faith and worship. God wants his people solely reliant on his grace. If you've ever wondered why God has delays in your life, it's because he wants you reliant on his grace. If you ever wonder why God has allowed enemies to come around in your life, God wants you solely reliant on his grace. If you've ever wondered why you battle with certain sin issues in your life, it's because God wants you dependent on his grace. So let's start this morning by looking at the first point in our outline, which is the fulfillment of the promise and the response of faith. We're going to see this in verses 1 through 7. Now, if you've been following the story at all, finally after 9 chapters in our Bibles, And after 14 years for Abraham and Sarah, the Lord finally brought the promised child. Now we're reading nine chapters. They're living 14 years. So for me to do the math on that, that's the age of my youngest son. Abraham and Sarah have waited the age of my boy Caleb to finally see this moment happen. Think back in your life for the last 14 years. The Lord visited Sarah and she conceived and bore Abraham a son. And and we've been following this since Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, God called Abraham, the son of an idol worshiper, to leave his homeland and go to where God had directed him. God told him that he would be the father of a great nation and every nation on earth would be blessed by his family. There's a major problem, though, with Abraham and Sarah. They were childless and they were old. They were way past childbearing years. But God promised that he would give them their very own son and this child would be Abraham's heir. And he would be the firstborn of a great nation. And finally, in Genesis 21, this happens. And notice how Moses, the author of Genesis, shows us how it happened. 
first you're going to notice Moses making a clear emphasis that this is something God is doing. Notice how often he wrote, as he said, as he promised, at the time God had spoken to him. See, Isaac came to them by the hand of God in the timing of God. And what you're going to notice when you read your Bible... And what you should start with every time you read your Bible is you should start with God's perspective of this life, not your perspective. That's what Abraham does. He starts us off with, this is God's doing. This happened in God's timing, exactly as God said, and he did it the very moment he said he was going to do it. But secondly, notice how Moses wants us to see that this was a miracle. Look how often he references Abraham's age. Sarah, which is actually funny, she says it twice. Now, if the roles were reversed here and Abraham mentioned Sarah's age, I think we might get something about her being offended by that. But instead, you'll notice it references her his age. Sarah bore Abraham a son in his old age. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah said, I have borne him a son in his old age. Mentioned three times in seven verses to get us to understand This was a miracle of God. Moses wants us to see Isaac's birth done by the hand of God in the timing of God even after 14 years. Isaac was the promised son, but he was the promised son who was the heir of Abraham because he was conceived miraculously by the hand of God. That's very important to this story. Now we've seen throughout this, these nine chapters as we've studied them, as Abraham and Sarah waited on God, they were less than stellar pillars of faith. They were less than great examples at times. We saw that twice Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife and put the covenant of God at risk. We saw them become impatient with God's timing and come up with their own plan. And Abraham had had a child with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. We saw Sarah at one point, didn't we? Laugh out loud in doubt and skepticism. Yet God promised he would fulfill his word. And here in Genesis 21, after years of waiting and doubt and sometimes unfaithfulness, God still delivers on his promise. But this time I want you to notice their response though. Notice, notice what they do in this story. In verses three and four, it says that Abraham called his son Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Now why does he mention this? Because it's as the Lord had commanded him. See, Abraham now does exactly what God told him to do. We're beginning to see what's called progressive sanctification or the progressive Christian growth in Abraham's life. Abraham did exactly what God told him to do, and God's fulfillment prompted Abraham's faith-filled response. Notice verses 6 and 7, Sarah references laughter again. Only this time, Sarah is laughing in joy. Before she laughed in doubt, now she's laughing in amazement and worship before the living God that God would do such things. Isaac's name denotes this laughter because it means he who laughs. Every time they would look at Isaac, they'd be reminded, oh, how God is faithful to his word. 
Abraham and Sarah responded in faith and worship and wonder and amazement at the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, before we move forward in our sermon, I just want to draw two conclusions and things that we can actually apply right now from verses 1 through 7. I think the first thing that we, that Moses wants us to see, I think the first thing that God wants us to see is that God's word is reliable because God is. Friends, you can count on God. You can count on God. And don't you dare miss this. It's taken years, years for God to fulfill what he promised, but he did. He is always on the move and he will always fulfill his word. His word is reliable because he is. Do you see God's word this way and do you see God this way? Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, puts it like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are more to be desired are they than gold, much fine gold, even sweet. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Is this how you see God's word? Reviving your soul, making you wise, rejoicing your heart, enlightening your eyes. One way to just evaluate your understanding of God's word being reliable is how much do you have it in your heart? How often do you read it during your day? How often do you think about it? Is it more desirous to you than gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb? Friends, this is so good for us to hear in the world that we live in because this world is clamoring that God's word is not reliable because God cannot be trusted. Matter of fact, he's dead. You don't need to listen to a dead God. But God's word is reliable because God is reliable and God is alive and active every day and every moment because he is always on the move. And God's word is good to us because, listen, it's spoken to us by God. The most benevolent, perfectly good perfectly wise, perfectly powerful being in the universe who was and who is and who is to come. The great I am, the one who is now, the one who is then, and the one who will be. That's the God who's spoken his word to you. God's word is reliable because he is. That's one thing to learn from this early part of the story. The second thing I think we see in this is the response of faith-filled obedience and worship when God's word is confirmed. I find something fascinating in our hearts as Americans. We're so impatient today. You know, I mean, um, we're living in a culture that we can literally get things at the drop. Of, we punch something on our phone and it lands in our lap. I have friends that live in Seattle and they've told me that you can get on Amazon You can click that you want to buy something, and within an hour it will be delivered to your house. 
We can download movies at the drop of a hat. We can take any music we want and listen to it at any moment. So the idea of waiting on something or seeing something fulfilled, our attitude as Americans and Westerners is basically, it's about time. I mean, how many of you got online late to look for your Christmas gifts and saw, oh no, one day shipping isn't going to happen? Right? We all do this. But notice Abraham's and Sarah's response. It was not, it's about time. They do as God commanded. And they rejoice and worship the living God. See, what I, what I catch here is Abraham and Sarah being the forerunners to Matthew Henry, being acute observers of answered prayer. Can you imagine the moment in their little hut when Sarah said, I'm with child? Can you imagine how that little baby bump would just be marveled at? They'd probably put things online way more than y'all do. Are you expecting God to be on the move? Are you anticipating God's word being reliable and his promises being fulfilled? I mean, if you look at the examples you have in scripture, you've got remarkable ones. When God promised the Virgin Mary that she would be the chosen mother of the Messiah, Jesus, she worshiped the living God. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and witnessed the deliverance of Egypt, listen, after 400 years of praying for that deliverance, they stopped and they worshiped the living God. Because why? When God answers, here's what happens. His people respond with faith-filled obedience and worship. Is that how you respond on Sunday mornings when you walk into church to think about the grace-filled life that you have because your God has been faithful? Or is it, Lord, I hope church won't take too long. Please, God, don't let the announcements run long. And please get Dave to shut it down after a while. Is faith-filled obedience your response to the God of all grace? It should be. And if it's not, you should be asking why. God's word is reliable because he is, and his people should respond with faith-filled obedience and worship. That's a good lead into our second point, which is the expulsion of a threat to the promise. We're going to see this in verses 8 through 14. See, as Isaac grew, the time for his weaning came. He's probably about three years old now. And per custom, Abraham throws a party. But at the party, something very normal, yet important to the story, happens. Ishmael began to mock and bully Isaac. Now, I say normal because, look, I've got an older son. I know what he does to his little brother. Okay, And I know what little brother's trying to do is he's getting bigger. It ain't good, right? Okay, I also know, watching some of you older brothers, how you interact with your younger brothers. What do you do? You bully them. You push them around a little bit. But I say important because of the wording that's in the text. We're told something fascinating about Ishmael. Notice, Ishmael was laughing. Here's that motif around laughing again. 
Only this time, the term is used for mockery and deriding. It's a different term than what we're told earlier. Most are unclear exactly what happened in this moment. But again, the New Testament gives clarity to the Old Testament because the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 4 verse 29. And notice what he wrote. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, and I put Ishmael here because that's who it is, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, which is Isaac. So also it is now. Paul said that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. That seems way different than just a little laughter and a little bullying, doesn't it? Now, whatever happened in this moment, you can see kicked Mama Bear Sarah into action. She saw the threat on Isaac and told Abraham in no uncertain terms that Hagar and her son should go. Now, you could think maybe that Sarah is overreacting. We could look at the way that she talked about Hagar and Ishmael and think she's way over the top. I mean, she she never mentions Hagar by name. Do you see that? She calls her the slave woman. She, she never mentions Ishmael by name. She calls him her son. But there seems to be something going on here that's very inter- interesting. Sarah sees a threat to the promise that God has made, and she wants to remove it. Abraham's response to this is to be expected. I mean, he's really bothered by this because he loves Ishmael. Ishmael's probably about this time 17 years old. And at one point, Abraham actually believed Ishmael was the son of promise. As you can imagine, as a parent, this would be remarkably challenging. Abraham was not happy at the prospect of sending his son away. Yet God has a completely different response. He told Abraham to listen to Sarah and send Hagar and Ishmael away and promised to make Ishmael a great nation. And then he comforted Abraham and told him he would take care of Ishmael because he was Abraham's son. And once again, what does Abraham do? He obeys. Now imagine how gut-wrenching this would be. I heard a story just recently about, happened yesterday, of one of our families out on a family gathering, went out to go eat, came back, dropped mom off at a store, drove around the backside, and the dad began to hear his son, wondered what was going on, and realized his son was purple and blue and was choking to death. And today, as I talk to that dad, he's still shaken by it. They were able to get everything out, clean it up, take him urgent care. The kid's fine. He was here today. And he's fully recovered. Praise God. It's gut-wrenching. We all know this feeling. It's, it doesn't feel good. Imagine what's going on in Abraham in this moment. Yet, what does he do? He obeys. Now, we have to ask why. Why does Sarah respond the way she does? Why does God tell Abraham to do this? Wow, the lights just went out. Y'all can see me, right? Okay, great. We're good. Okay. Why does God tell Abraham to do this? Why does Abraham obey? Well, there seems to be one reason and one reason only. The threat to God's promise. See, Ishmael was a threat to Isaac. 
He was bullying him, persecuting him, pushing him around, deriding him. And it was very important for God to remove him from the presence of Isaac so Isaac could start leading his own family eventually, raising up a nation who are the people of God. But there's another threat that's a little more behind the scenes that I don't want you to miss. It's Abraham's subtle belief that Ishmael could be the son of promise. If something just so happened to Isaac, which we're going to see in Genesis 22, Abraham would have a fallback plan. I've got two sons, not one. Expelling Ishmael takes that fallback plan completely out of the picture and causes Abraham to be solely reliant upon the resurrection power of the risen of the living God. Now, Sarah's response is intriguing because the text and the wording does not give any indication that she's responding in bitterness. But she is matter-of-factly, in a resolute way, defending God's promise. Now, I'm sure there are protective mothering instincts going on here. We see that very clearly. But the text indicates that what she did, she did it because of the threat of God's grace in Isaac... And God agreeing with her mothering instincts says that her instincts were correct. Now this makes me wonder something about Sarah's response. Should we be willing to remove any threat to God's work of grace in our lives and in the church? How watchful are you in your life about the threats of God's grace upon your soul. How watchful are you upon the threats of God's grace at work in His church? I wonder that. I mean, cause you can think of moments in the New Testament that this is revealed to us. As an example, we're told by Paul that we are to remove divisive people from the church. We're told by Jesus that we should protect the church from ongoing sin. We're told by Paul in Ephesians and Romans that we're to put off our old sinful selves and reckon, understand, believe, know that sin has no more power over us anymore because we've been buried with Christ and raised to live in a brand new power. Sarah's instincts, I think, are instructive to us. We should be willing to remove any threat of God's work in our lives. I just want to ask you, are you willing to do that? But what about Abraham? Abraham was willing to make tough choices and obey God no matter what the cost. We'll see this play out in Genesis 22. We will. Just a couple weeks. We'll read about him taking his son Isaac to offer him on the altar. According to Hebrews 11, Abraham did it in that moment believing that God would raise the dead. Do you see how God made him solely dependent by removing Ishmael from the equation? But this moment of Abraham reminds me of something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, God's ways and God's promises were more important to Abraham than even his own son. He believed God was faithful to take care of his son because God's word is reliable. And he obeyed God even when it was costly. Friends, I hope you're aware that obedience to God at times will be costly. Sarah was willing to remove anything or anyone who would hurt the promise of God. And Abraham was willing to send out his own son at the call of God. Challenging hard, but obedient and faithful. Is there anything in your life that is off limits to God? Is it that relationship that you're in right now that you know is not good for your soul, but you think it's really good for your body? Is an addiction that you're struggling with, a sin that you're battling with? Are you willing to cut out anything that threatens God's work of grace in your life? See how challenging this is? This is why we need the grace of God, which is exactly where Moses takes us. That's our last point, which is the compassion and wisdom of God. We're going to see this in verses 15 through 21. A few days after Ishmael and Hagar departed, they ran out of water. Hagar steps away from 17-year-old Ishmael. Now, the text makes it sound like she was carrying him. She wasn't. She stepped away because he's drying up. So is she. They're dying of thirst. They're in a desperate spot. And the Lord in his kindness sent an angel to tell her they're not going to die. And he repeats again the promise he made to Abraham about Ishmael. The Lord opened her eyes at that moment. She saw a watering hole, filled up their skins with water, and they went on their way. And we're told that God was with Ishmael. That he grew up, became an expert with the bow, and married an Egyptian woman. Now it's not hard to see the compassion of God towards Ishmael because he was Abraham's son. God cared about Ishmael because Ishmael was born to God's man, Abraham. I've got some questions I'm going to write about tomorrow in my blog post, and it's this. If you know the history of Ishmael's people, you know they become the most vile enemies of the people of Israel. Why did God have compassion on this? And I'm convinced that God did it because God knew to bring enemies to Israel would make them more dependent on the living God. And I'll show you that in the New Testament tomorrow. But that's not the point of the text. The challenge is you see Ishmael being this man, this son who has compassion because he's the son of God's man, Abraham. But listen, so is Isaac. What is the difference between Abraham's two sons? And that difference is a huge part of this story of exile. And the reason why Ishmael was expelled. See, listen, the difference between Ishmael and Isaac is more than Ishmael being a bully and God having compassion on him. The difference, and listen clearly, is the calling and the grace of God that Isaac represents. Now, here's what I mean by that. 
God had compassion on Ishmael and saved him from dying in the wilderness because he was the son of the man of faith, Abraham. But his conception was done by human ingenuity, human wisdom, and human strength and power. You'll remember in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah, who became impatient with God delivering the promise, offered to Abraham Hagar, her young maidservant, to be a wife to Abraham so they could conceive a child together, believing that would be the promised son. And that's exactly what Abraham does. He listens to his wife Sarah in this moment and has a child with Hagar. And the son, Ishmael, is, listen clearly, the son of man's wisdom, man's power, and man's strength. But who is Isaac? Isaac was born by God's power, by God's wisdom, by God's grace. He was born to an old man, Abraham, an old woman, Sarah, who were way past her childbearing years, yet God did it by miracle, and his own, he's the only one that could get the glory out of Isaac being born. Isaac is the son of God's wisdom, God's power, and God's grace. Now, friends, that is remarkably important to your study of the Bible. It's remarkably important to the study of the book of Genesis and the people of God. And it's remarkably important to our understanding of how God's promises work. And listen, and how God works. God always works through His power and His grace, and He is not swayed by human strength and ingenuity. God's grace is what makes God's people God's people. Not human strength, not human deeds, not human ingenuity. And you'll notice this is exactly how the Apostle Paul describes it in the book of Galatians when he compared the two sons, when he said one represented the flesh, Ishmael, and the flesh is man's ability to make himself right with God. And one, Isaac, represented God's grace, meaning God's ability to make man right with God. In a very real sense, Ishmael represents the humanistic secular culture all around you and the religiosity of the culture that says this, man can make man great and make man right with God on his own through man's work, man's wisdom, and man's strength. That's Ishmael. Isaac represents a whole nother way of life. God's way. God's way of making man's right, making man right with God and making man great is through God's work, God's power, God's grace, and God's strength. Do you see the difference? Friends, you better see the difference. Because otherwise you'll come to the end of your life. And you will say, I can stand before God because of all the good deeds that I've done. Or you will say, I can stand before God because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who has come for me and captured my soul. See the difference? Now God does it this way. So that God will receive all the glory and so that his people will be solely dependent and reliant upon him. That's why he does it this way. 
If you wonder why struggle in my life so you can depend on the risen Christ. Why do I have battles with this Genesis 3 world so you can depend on the risen Christ? Why do you have the struggle with all the things in this world and in your own soul so you can be dependent on the risen Christ? Why are there enemies in this world so you can be dependent upon the risen Christ? Why? Because God's work comes by God's grace and God's power and God's strength and wisdom alone so that He alone might be glorified. Don't miss this. Don't miss that. See, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1 when he said, For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God to the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, they wanted a sign. Why? They wanted something to reveal power. The Greeks wanted wisdom because they believed that, that one could be made right with God and be, become immortal through the more wisdom that they had. But we preach what? Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring the things that are. Why? So no human might boast in the presence of God. That's the point. That's the point. So when God told Abraham to remove Ishmael, it's God's way of saying to Abraham, listen to what God's saying to Abraham. Abraham, you will not ever depend on your own ways, your own power, your own work to bring about my promise. Because I do that by my strength, my grace, my wisdom. And Isaac is the son of promise, not Ishmael. And it took all the crutches of human effort away from Abraham. See, friends, that's the compassion and wisdom of God. His ways are not our ways. We naturally function in secular humanism. We come out of the womb saying, me, myself, and I. And the risen Christ is saying to us from heaven... There is no glory to be given to any other except him. He's come to save us by his grace. See, God delivers his promise by his grace, not our work. Now, friends, it's really important to your life right now. Are you depending on your morality, your integrity, your good works? Your kindness to make you right with God. You know, you can check this in your life is when something bad happens and you look to God and you say, I don't deserve this. Because in your mind, you're good enough to not have bad things happen to you. Because why do bad things happen to good people? And you naturally think you, therefore, are good In a sense, where are you depending upon your Ishmael? Is it time to cast out the Ishmael in your life and trust in the grace of God alone? Perhaps this morning you are here, you're listening online, 
And you have never trusted in Christ because you did not realize that this was about you recognizing your weakness and your failure and your lack of righteousness and your lack of ability to make yourself right with God this morning. You need to trust in Christ. And we would just tell you, turn your heart to Jesus. Believe in the risen Christ. Maybe you're a believer and you're wrestling with God all the time about things that happen in your life and you're missing the point. It's not about you. It's about the glory of the risen Christ. Where in your life are you clinging to something that is hindering you or harming you of God's work of grace in your life? 1997 for me was the game of baseball. It was an idol. And the Lord called me very clearly, you need to get out for a while. Rip this out of your heart until you get your alignment appropriate before me. This is not about you. In your life, is it a relationship? Is it a bad habit that's turned into an addiction? Is it a pet sin that you just love to pull out every now and then? The way of grace and the way of life in the Lord says this, there is power sufficient to help you. Where are you relying on your own wisdom, power, and work to get done what only God can do? See, when I was a younger preacher, I used to think this. If people aren't getting it, I'll just get louder. I'll just say it faster. And then the Lord reminded me of these words in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We could say it this way. Some trust in, in, in powerful wills and mental fortitude. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some could put it this way. Some trust in presidents. Some in houses of Congress. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some could put it this way. Some trust in power and influence and some in, in riches. But we, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We could put it this way. Some trust in their own personal righteousness and good deeds. Oh, but we, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you trust in your human ingenuity, your wisdom, and your power and strength? Or God's. Let's pray. Father, the answer to that question, and you know, if we trust in ourselves or we trust in you, It is eternal. At the end of our days, we will not take our good works with us that are not done in faith in Christ. You will not, you will hold us at arm's length. This morning, We declare to you as your people, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Maybe right now, church, as you're sitting before the Lord and God is bringing things to your mind that you have trusted in, 
Maybe you can repeat to the Lord like I did one time. Lord, some trust in loud preaching and some trust in strong wills. But I will trust in the name of the Lord, my God. Maybe for you, it's your money, it's your retirement plan. Maybe it's your mental strength. Maybe it's all the possessions you've accumulated. Maybe it's your job or your influence. Maybe it's your integrity, your moral purity. Would you declare before God this morning, Lord, I will trust in the name of the Lord, my God. I want to trust in the God of grace, not the idol of self. Father, we declare our need. The story reveals to us that we are weak. You have a plan and you're always on the move. And there's nothing that will stop you from accomplishing your promise. You are faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.